last night in dramatic fashion over the Brewers. 5-4, win the Series 3-1, advance to the National League Championship Series, guys, and will face either the Dodgers or Giants next. Good afternoon. Welcome to 3 and Out. BJ Bennett here alongside Ben Troop and Cam Ushery as well. We are glad to have you with us, and we have a lot to get to. We will chat with Georgia Southern head football coach Kevin Whitley, interim head football coach, getting ready for a big game on Thursday night against South Alabama in the Southern Conference. We'll chat with Coach Whitley, get his perspective on things. Jeff Collins, Georgia Tech head football coach, will join us uh, as well, and we'll look at where Georgia Tech is, 3-3, three and three, back to 500 overall and in the ACC. Uh, they have an off week, but then you look at their schedule, uh, Virginia Tech, Miami, Notre Dame, Georgia. Uh, you look at Georgia Southern schedule, you think about uh, Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, BYU. So uh, Coach Whitley and Coach Collins both have very difficult remaining schedules, but also chances and opportunities to make a move in conference and nationally. So we'll chat with uh, Kevin Whitley and Jeff Collins here on 3 and Out. We'll also chat with Bud Ellis of Braveswire.com because, Ben, Cam, these Atlanta Braves are looking really good. Uh, Freddie Freeman had, had another great signature moment last night, the go-ahead home run off Josh Hader in the bottom of the eighth. The Braves pitching staff has been elite for the playoffs. They have an MLB best 154 ERA and been uh, not long ago, the Braves had a losing record. Uh, you were looking around going, not only are we probably not going to make the playoffs, we may not even be relevant down the home stretch. Here you are, you're four wins away from the World Series yet again. And it was a great scene at Truist Park last night. Yeah, BJ, and it shows that uh, <clears throat> 2020 wasn't a fluke. I know that 2020, having a, a sample size of games, and you look at this Braves team that was able to go deeper to the playoffs last year, coming up a little bit short against those Dodgers. But, BJ, I think you said the best. I mean, a back-and-forth affair. I mean, uh, give the Brewers a lot of credit. They are one game one. wasn't going quietly into the night last night. But isn't it fitting for it to be uh, Freddie Freeman? Isn't it fitting for the fact that the guy who's been the face of this franchise – since he's been here, who's gone through the dark ages, who's gone through the rough pass, patches, has dealt with when the Braves were not relevant at all, who was used to being the only focal point for this team, to have the, have the moment he had last night. And he even said it, look, out of everything he's done in his career, even, even with, uh, being the reigning NL MVP, this has been the highlight. Now, he wants this to, it to be more highlights. He don't want this to be the, uh, uh, the highlight of his career, the, I mean, uh, of this, of this series coming up, but... BJ, I think you said the best. This Braves team does things the Braves way, unorthodox, uh, doing things that with nothing to even compare it to. BJ, I know you try to break down the numbers, but at one point in the season, they was literally going win loss, win loss, win loss. Um, a lot of a lot of new faces, um, a lot of different uh, co contributors, but at the end of the day, they moved on. Probably should have swept, but BJ, how much poise does the show? Or you Cam, how much poise? That the show a, a Braves team that can do it their way, uh, still find a way, BJ, to do it with pitching. Because BJ, you've won me over with, you know, uh, the bats win games, pitching wins playoff games, as we've seen. But very, very impressed with this Braves team. Uh, four years in, four, four, uh, four times a charm. I know it's supposed to be three, four, four straight NL East championships. Uh, not, not uh, no Fred, no uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. No problem. But yeah, Freddie Free. I mean, couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, you're happy for this, you're happy for this guy. Still got to get his new contract. But, P.J., for one night, the Braves, they find a way to get it done, and now they await 
the winner of the Giants and the Dodgers. Yeah, and, and Cam, for me, real quick, Ben mentioned it. Look, you've had incredible contributions from all over the field. But to me, I think you look at the starting pitching, the bullpen's been better. I mean, Charlie Morton and Max Freed have been outstanding. I think the pitching, along with the acquisitions, guys coming through with clutch hits, has been the difference for this team. Uh, and I think we'll get into it later, but do they have a run in them, Cam? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I mean, shout out to the Braves for one, for uh, gentlemen sweeping the Brewers. That's why I like to call it a gentleman sweep. And um, kudos to the front office. Uh, you could have just sold the season away and just said, you know what, we're going to you know, look towards the draft and, you know, we're not going to put a, you know, a competitive product on the field. But now you're back again, back in the same area where you was at last year. And it's just impressive when you're missing your first best, your best player. Normally teams are not this good. They do have a run in them. And, you know, this is uh, – we'll talk about it a little bit later, whether, you know, they want to face the Dodgers or the Giants. But um, I definitely – I would definitely want to play the Giants. But, I mean, either way, I think they have a shot. Either way, and, and to attest to that pitching, good pitching is always going to go far in the MLB. Um, I've been brushing up on my baseball history since I've gotten here. You guys are big on baseball. And, man, just shout-out to the Atlanta Braves. They're putting up uh, a competitive product on the field and – and I'm just happy for Atlanta in general because, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a dark place sometimes in the sports world being from Atlanta, so I'm happy. Well, and I know Ben Dansby Swanson said yesterday, uh, uh, I believe, hey, there's, there's no Atlanta sports curse. And look, Atlanta's won four straight division titles now. You're talking about a team that was just on the verge of the World Series, and you're four wins away from being in the World Series, and you're at the very least going to be in the NLCS again, obviously. What I like is the balance, and and I think you saw that last night where you had good contributions from a number of guys in the bullpen. Charlie Morton had, what, three and a third, did a really good job. So the pitching was good and has been good throughout this series with your starters and your relievers. And then it's multiple guys getting hits. You know, it's uh, obviously Solaire was not able to go with the COVID test, but you're talking about uh, Adam Duvall with some big hits. Freddie Freeman, of course, Ozzie Albies. Uh, defensively, you made uh, – Dansby Swanson has had a tremendous defensive series. What I like about this team is, is it seems like the Braves can win games a variety of different ways. You want to play 2-1? Okay, we got that. You want to go back and forth and, you know, 9-7? to seven? Yeah, we got that too. I think this team is confident in whatever game-type situation unfolds, and I think that is a big deal uh, now that you're talking about trying to get back to the World Series or get to the World Series. Yes, get back to the World Series for the first time in quite some time. But, Ben, I think the Braves, I don't care about the regular season records. Guys, I think they should be confident heading into the NLCS. They should be, BJ. I, th- I think uh, <clears throat> you can't you can't state that enough. You talk about Dansby, you talk about you talk about Isaac, you talk about Freddie Free. Freddie Free is a straw that or, or the straw that stirs the drink, or you know, uh, if, if that's how they say it. But BJ, I always talk about role players, <clears throat> and I want to say something about role players now. That I, role players get a bad rep. Role players sound like I'm not good enough, so I have to play a role. No, role players is guy who embrace it, and when it's time for them to you know show what they do. The Braves have a bunch of role players, and it's so much better when everybody plays a pivotal role. That means that, look, if I'm going into a game knowing I hope my best stuff is available, but if it's not, my teammates going to pick me up. And I think that's what makes this Braves team good. This lineup can, ma- can match with the best of them. BJ, you talk about pitching. Talk about starting pitch. You talk about the bullpen. It seems like everybody's playing their best baseball 
now when 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 the playoffs are here. So I do think the role players are because Isaiah Albers is a role player, Austin Riley is a role player, um, Dance Response is a role player. You mentioned Solaire being being out with COVID, couldn't even tell. So I think when the fact that Freddie Free is the man and they know it. And you got a bunch of role players that embrace their role and seem to be dominating in those roles. That I don't, I don't know how that's gonna, you know, if that's gonna be beneficial moving forward. But that has been a winning strategy, and that's got to make you feel confident, uh, regardless of who you play in the next round. Because I think when you think about a team that really embraces the concept of team, I don't think nobody does it better than the Braves. Well, and a lot of people have been saying on on a social media, okay, that was yet another spotlight moment for Freddie Freeman. I mean, you could write a book on Freddie Freeman and the Beret. Uh, when are you going to pay him? Get my man his money. That's what a lot of people are saying. I mean, I, I don't know where y'all's comfort level is with that. I, I feel like it's going to get done. I think you think about the Atlanta Braves, you think about Freddie Freeman, you think about Freddie Freeman, you think about the Atlanta Braves, and moments like what happened last night, I mean, that was magical. You're facing maybe one of the two or three top closers in the game. You, It's not a walk-off, but, you know, same type situation, uh, bottom of the eighth inning. You just take a guy that doesn't get uh, hit like that. You take him deep. Freddie Freeman has got to come back, has to be signed to a long-term deal. I think it's going to happen. I'm not trying to change the subject from celebrating where we are here with the Braves in the NLCS, but I think I think Freddie Freeman has got to come back. I mean, you, you want more moments like what you had last night. Well, BJ, I mean – I'm not I'm not comparing him to Chipper's career, but there's no way you can let Freddie Freeman walk. You, he shows you how much he means to the, to the, to, to the Braves. Best first baseman in baseball, reigning NL you know uh, MVP. Keith always had showed a little bit of his humor side. Had a a very very minor slump. Still, it's still listen. He's he's not the best player on the Braves. He's the best player for the Braves. Ronald Acuna Jr. is a better player. That's, that's what that goes without saying. But, BJ, you know what they're doing? Two words, Dak Prescott. You have waited too long to pay him, so now it's gone up. What could have been potentially $175 million got to be over 200 You gave Ronald Cooney Jr., without going to arbitration, a $100 million deal, what, going into his third year, you got – Freddie Freeman is going to be the first big contract Alex Anthopoulos has ever negotiated, but he's worth every penny – Plus, he's the ultimate team guy in BJ. You better give him his money because, look, you need. I, I need to be having those moments, you know, 10 years from now because he doesn't seem to be slowing down. Yeah, I mean, he deserves his money. Um, I mean, the price has gone up definitely. He just won them a playoff, a playoff series um, in the game four. But one thing I can say about Atlanta sports, they pay their athletes. I, I can attest to that. I mean, I've seen Matt Ryan and Julio and just saw Trey Young get paid all that money. So I'm hoping – hoping uh, the Braves follow suit and pay Freddie Free because, man, I mean, he's been coming through for the clutch for them for the past I don't know how long. It's been a while. Let's put it like that. And I do I do have confidence in the Braves, actually. I'm not, I don't want to jinx them, but I have confidence in the Braves making the push um, for the World Series. And, and if he does that, the price is going to go up even more. So – that's a very good point. Now, who will the Braves play in the National League Championship Series? Uh, the Dodgers and Giants will play tomorrow evening. The winner of that series is tied 2-2, will advance to play Atlanta. A lot of college football this weekend, including Georgia Southern, on Thursday night. We will come back and hear from Kevin Whitley and then Jeff Collins. Here it's 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 
Georgia Southern plays tomorrow night on ESPNU against South Alabama. Recently, we had a chance to chat with interim head football coach Kevin Whitley. Kevin Whitley joining us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you coming on, and obviously under not ideal circumstances, but uh, now the, the the coach at Georgia Southern where you played, we're All-American, four-year starter. What has that kind of transition been like for you midseason here? Yeah, it's been hectic, you know, but like I said, i got a really good support staff around me, so uh, they've made the transition as smooth as it, it could possibly be for me. You're one of the great players in program history, a couple of national championships as well. What does what does Georgia Southern, the expectations, the the history of uh, the program mean to you? Oh, definitely. It means a lot. You know, I, I played at a time where uh, Coach Russell really uh, set the bar for this place. And so anytime that you know the history of Georgia Southern, you just want to, you know, leave your own legacy. And so that's one of the things we kind of preach to our guys, how are you going to be remembered? You know, every – home game but every year there's a, a national championship team coming back that's being recognized and so you just let your players know man you know you control your destiny you control your legacy and uh you just want to leave you want to leave on a good note here what's been kind of your message to the team about moving forward here in 2021 when there's obviously been a coaching change mid-season yeah you know just take it one day at a time you know uh all of us were, were uh you know caught off guard a little bit by the move uh, but you know, at the same time, we gotta we gotta keep moving on. So, you know, like I say, our guys are real resilient. They've done a great job bouncing back from that. And what we gotta do now is just take it one game at a time. Make sure we learn from our mistakes, and uh, you know, we just want to put the best product we can on the field. And so, those guys are committed to doing that, and that's what what our plan is moving forward. A big win over Arkansas State, a close loss to Troy, getting ready for South Alabama coming up. Uh, how how do you kind of evaluate the first couple of games, and what are your expectations for Thursday night? Well, you know, uh, you know, first couple of games, uh, you know, our kids are definitely playing hard. Uh, I think we got off to a really slow start uh, for at Troy, and that kind of put us in a hole, you know. But I think again, our kids showed a lot of character. Uh, coming out of the locker room and, and finally playing what I consider uh, a complete, complete game in terms of offense, defense, and special teams. You know, so our expectations moving forward is that we need to do that for four quarters. We want to come out fast. We want to finish fast. And so, you know, that's been the message this week, even though it's a short week, you know, we feel like, you know, we've got to take advantage of every opportunity we get uh, at the game. So, you know, our guys are focused, you know, and we'll continue to do what we need to do to make sure we put ourselves in the best position to be successful. Kevin Whitley joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And what has that been like being the head coach? Uh, I know you've had head coaching stints at the at the high school level, but of the college program, what has that been like to all of a sudden in the middle of the season say, you're you're the guy that's in charge of all of this? Uh, it's been very hectic. You know, I went from managing 10 guys to really managing 130 guys in terms of players and uh, managing the staff, uh, support staff. And so – uh, I've had to learn some new things on the run. You know, I, I've had the head coaching experience. So, uh, but it's a, it was a, it's a different level, different animal. And so, you know, I've got a good group around me that have allowed me to um, ask questions, you know, whatever I need. Somebody's there to always support me in that. And so I'm very appreciative of the support staff we have here at Georgia Southern. And like I said, you know, I feel like I'm a lot better today than I was two weeks ago. Uh, it's kind of slowed down for me. And so now that it's slowed down, you know, I can, you know, kind of manage my time a little better. 
and 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 focus on the things I need to focus on to make sure we're we're ready to play on Thursdays. Because you can get you can get lost in off off the field stuff. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm trying to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's you know being ready to play on game day. Coach, talk about this game against South Alabama, a team that's gotten off to a pretty good start. National TV, ESPNU broadcast. What type of opportunity is that for the program? Well, it's a great opportunity. Anytime you can play on one of the, the bigger channels of ESPN, you get national exposure, which brings attention to your brand. And so we definitely want to represent Georgia Southern, uh, our fans, and, and our entire Georgia Southern community in, in, a, in a good light. So a great opportunity for us, South Al. Is a team that has uh, that really got to a really hard start. They are playing extremely well on defense. They get after it. Coach Womack, who's uh, been a defense coordinator at the college level for a number of years, uh, did a great job at Indiana helping them get back to where they are right now. Uh, he's carried that same mentality to South Alabama. They're playing great on defense. They run to the ball. They're physical. And so we're going to definitely have to match their intensity. Uh, this will be our first time playing in their new stadium. So we'll have to get there and get accustomed to what's going on in terms of the environment. Uh, Offensively, they probably have one, if not two, of the best receivers in our conference. Uh, Number eight, a lot of speed. They got size. They hands. They run exceptional routes. An experienced quarterback. Uh, He's a transfer in. Uh, He was at Utah last year, uh, South Carolina before that. So he, he has a lot of power five experience. So, you know, our goal right now is just come on and, and be the best we can be. And so to do that, again, we have to focus on practice, you know, go through the things we need to do on the practice field to give ourselves a chance to re- be ready to go on Thursday. And again, the opportunity, as BJ said, Thursday for a, a statement game. But you look at the remaining schedule, an opportunity for Georgia Southern to really finish strong. What are you looking uh, to, to see from, from the team in the, this final stretch of the season? Yeah, our final stretch is really Thursday. You know, <laughs> um, our focus is, again, it's all about Thursday. And so we'll practice today, have a great, really good practice today, and then we'll get ready for the next game. And it's uh, kind of very – it's hard for me to look out two weeks or three weeks from now uh, because, again, uh, I got a lot of new stuff thrown on my table, so I'm really taking it one day at a time. That's not a cliche. I'm really doing that, taking it one day at a time and trying to get our guys to focus on one day at a time. So – you know, our focus right now, if you talk to our players, is on practice today. All right, we'll have a good practice today, have a good one tomorrow, then we'll fly out of here, and then we'll get ready to go on Thursday. But once Thursday uh, is over, we'll get ready for the next one. So, um, you know, everybody's focused on that. And like I said, our, our biggest thing right now is just to focus on us and how we can get better as a team. And, Coach, you think about South Alabama, uh, some of the other teams that are on the horizon. How, how good is this league? I mean, you've had some great success with defensive backs making big plays in this league. But when you think about uh, some of the names, you know, the Coastal Carolina, App State, obviously those games are later. But the Sun Belt seems to be, from a national reputation standpoint, maybe the top uh, G5 program out there. What's it like competing in this league? Yeah, well, I think the Sun Belt, you know, has definitely gotten stronger through the last couple of years. Uh, you know, we look up, we have two, sometimes three teams ranked in the top 25. And anytime you can do that, you can put that against any other conference in the country uh, in terms of, you know, uh, rankings and, and and really good football teams. So, you know, anytime you, you're a coach or a player, you should want to play against the best. And so being a part of the Sun Belt gives you opportunity to play against tough teams, whether it be home or on the road, and it gives you opportunity to show what you can do. So great exposure of our program, great competition. And uh, those other teams are doing a, a great job, great coaching staffs. And so we we got to make sure we're doing our part to be in the conversation. 
I was going to say it's got to be special for you as a uh, former Georgia Southern Eagle to uh, play for Irk Russell, kind of see the evolution of the program to hear here it is all those uh, years later in you know D- Division One college football, G five playing at a high level. Uh, kind of t- talk us through that transition that you've kind of seen with your own eyes from player to where the program is now. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely grown so much since I was here. I'm actually sitting in a building right now that was a hill. <laughs> uh, when I was a player here. And so just, I mean, just little things like that, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, cause I knew it when we didn't have anything, you know what I mean? We all are staying in the dorm, you know? And so, you know, the, the, the college, the university, uh, the, the community has grown leaps and bounds since I was here. Uh, I can't believe it's been over 30 years since I played here. So, you know, time really goes fast. Uh, Georgia Southern has grown that we will continue to grow. We will continue to be a program that people will have to, uh, you know, have to reckon with. So, uh, Georgia Southern special place. Anybody who's ever been in Statesboro knows that this is a football town. People love their football. And, you know, we don't compete against anything, you know, here in Statesboro. So, we don't have the Hawks. We don't have the, you know, the Falcons. You know, it's all Georgia Southern football here. So, uh, we want to make sure we put a good product on the field, make our, our fans and our community proud about it. Kevin Whitley, our guest here on 3 and Out Coach. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you guys against South Alabama Thursday night. We appreciate the time. I really appreciate you guys as well. And Kevin, again, that's a great name, man. 100%. So, I appreciate uh, it. I, hey, I, I, yours is the best. I'm here. Yours is the best. Kevin Whitley, our guest here on 3 and Out. We'll come. Coastal.com with us now to talk some college football. His team's won two out of their last three games. One at Duke over the weekend. Head coach of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Jeff Collins, Coach, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Doing great. Take us back to the finish of that uh, Duke game. Obviously a contest where you guys got a big play late, another win. You're at 500. Uh, what were the last couple of minutes like from your perspective? Yeah, it, it was really good. Just the guys, you know, we told them before the game, just stay, stayed out in the whole time, one play at a time all the way to the end. They did it. They trusted it. They believed in it. Uh, had a great four-minute stop, so they went in four-minute mode because they had to lead. Got a stop, forced a punt, ninety-play drive or ninety-yard drive to get the go-ahead touchdown. And then with fifty seconds left, our defense did a great job stopping them, get an interception, uh, go down, go to victory formation twice. It doesn't get any better than that. Coach, how, how important was it to make sure you know you guys go into the bye week with the win? Yeah, I mean that's always we want to go one and zero every single week. Um, so that that was a huge building block for us, um, and just learning how to win on the road, uh, which Georgia Tech has not beaten Duke up there in I think eight to ten years. Um, so to be able to go up to that place and get a win uh, was huge for the program, huge for our guys. So, coach, what are the priorities here in the bye week? Uh, two out of three games you've won. What are you guys looking to work on now with a week off? Yeah, we're, I mean we're really close. I mean we're we're seven points away from being five and one. Um, you know, had a had a you know really good uh, competitive showing over there in Death Valley. Um, guys came out and played really hard against a team that had hung uh, sixty more points on us a year ago, and then to come up six points short. Uh, obviously, you you don't take moral victories, but just the growth and development of our program uh, is just so far as of any been. And uh, so right now, I've got our our self scout books right in front of me watching all the cut-ups from the first six games of the season, uh, just trying to find one or two plays um, that can make a difference uh, as we go forward and, and make a good little run here. 
Coach, how much progress have you guys made in the last month? You know, Clemson, you know, North Carolina, Pitt, and Duke. How, how would you describe you guys' process or progress the last month? Yeah, we, we, we've learned a lot of things. You know, we, we went into the uh, uh, Carolina game, which was a top-20 team, uh, beat them in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, had the right mindset, the right attitude, played the game the right way. Um, and then we get ready to play Pitt at home, who has one of the top two offenses in all of college football. Uh, I think they, they're loaded with the super seniors, and they've got a really good team. Um, but I just think some things went our, didn't go our way early, didn't handle adversity the right way. Our guys have learned from that. Um, and just whatever happens, good or bad, you just got to keep playing one play at a time until it's triple zeros. And it was good to see that response for them uh, going on the road in a tough environment up in Durham and getting a win. We're chatting with Georgia Tech head football coach Jeff Collins here on 3 and Out, the Yellow Jackets 500. And, Coach, you mentioned the close games, Northern Illinois, obviously, Clemson, uh, the big win at Duke on, on Saturday. What, what's the difference in maybe winning and losing in those close game environments? And is your team kind of learning, learning to win close games? And was Saturday validating in that regard? Yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing that we've been talking about, just having expectant belief and knowing good things are going to happen and going and fighting to make those things happen. Um, I don't know if we've always had that mentality, but every single week our guys are growing and getting better having that belief in each other um, and the style of play that we have and just trusting to play one play at a time. Good stuff is going to happen um, because too many times in the past we've looked too big picture and then don't execute in the moment. And I think we're finally getting that piece one play at a time. Every single play matters. Every single play has a life of its own. Uh, play as hard as you can. Execute as clean as you can. Good things are going to happen. And uh, I'm hoping we finally understand that and are ready to take that into the last half of the season. And, Coach, you know, even going back a month ago, the way the way you guys played against Clemson, I mean, from open and go, I mean, the way the way the defense played, to know that you guys lost, obviously, by a two-point conversion, how much momentum does that build for you as a coach and as well as your coaching staff and the team, understanding that, look, Clemson is usually the barometer in the ACC, and you guys stood toe-to-toe in, count, you know, and then you add a big win the week after against UNC. Yep. Well, I think recruits see it. I think college football sees it. Um, everybody knows about the transition that we had to go through here, um, inheriting a triple option program for 11 years and then bringing it to the modern day of college football. So everybody understands that. Um, it's a process. Our guys have believed in the process. They've stayed with it. And, uh, you know, we're just so close uh, to being a really, really good football team. Um, I'm excited every single day I get to come to work with these guys. Uh, I just had a Zoom call with all of our players' parents. Um, and just got on there and just thanked them for letting me coach their sons, uh, how blessed we are, how close we are to being really, really good, and uh, thanking them for entrusting us with the care and development of their sons. And if anything that we learned in COVID was that you can get together with a group of people um, and have communication, have an open-door policy, and we've tried to continue that, uh, you know, lessons learned from last year, and I just keep close bonds with our, our, our players' families as well. Great perspective from Jeff Collins. Uh, Coach, wanted to ask you about your quarterback, Jeff Sims. Of course, played as a true freshman, dealt with some injuries here this season, but he still made big throws for you. Uh, where is he in his progression? And talk about the leadership he brings to the team. Yeah, he, he's awesome. I mean, he's a great player, obviously. He's a tremendous athlete. 
but he's even a better kid. I mean, he is uh, universally loved, universally loved in this program. Uh, he works really, really hard. He studies film. He's he takes coaching. He wants to get better. He loves his teammates, um, and he's a tremendous player. Um, you know, I know we've got the, the league this year is loaded with elite quarterbacks. I think five of the top quarterbacks in all of college football reside in the ACC. We've just played three of them, and we got one coming up against Virginia next week. And I think Jeff is going to be in that conversation uh, sooner than later as one of the top quarterbacks in all of college football. Coach, talk about this second half when you guys do come off the all week. I mean, big games against Virginia Tech. I mean, you talk about Notre Dame, you talk about Georgia. You guys talked about the momentum earlier, but how much is that going to be key, making sure that when you guys come back, you guys are firing on all cylinders? Yeah, no no doubt. As, as, when the season started, we had the uh, uh, second toughest schedule in all of college football. We take that as a source of pride in this program. Uh, but then when you look at the six teams that we have coming down the stretch, they combine with a total of nine losses. The six teams that we play have only lost in the first half of the season nine, nine times in total. Uh, so we've got a stretch, but uh, we got a chance to be really good, and we've got to play some really good football, uh, clean football, go up there and play together, wherever whoever it is, and uh, show what we can do. Because if we play and fire and all sudden, there's not a team that we can't uh, compete with in all of college football. I think our guys are finally to that belief point, and now we just got to go out every Saturday and execute. And, Coach, the ACC Coastal Division, it seems like every week there's a game, two, three games, coming down to a field goal, a touchdown. Uh, what's life like in that division where there's such depth and such balance? Yeah, I think that's universally been the case. I think – the last seven years, there's been seven different champions, uh, which is crazy. Uh, but it's good ball, great players, great coaches, uh, great competition. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to position our program every single day uh, to be one of the elite teams in our league. Coach, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, BJ asked you earlier about, uh, you know, Jeff Sims. We know about Jameer Gibbs and those guys. Has there been a player uh, that's really made a lot of strides this uh, very, very young season and a player that you know been very, very impressed with that you didn't really know was going to be making key contributions at this point? Well, I, I think one of the biggest pieces is our linebacking core. Uh, we've got three linebackers that are in the top ten in the ACC in tackles. I think maybe even in the top 20 or 22 nationally in tackles. So just the production from that position has been really good. Uh, and the leadership from A.C. Lee and Quez Jackson uh, and Charlie Thomas, too, our three linebackers, uh, has been really impressive all year. So just so excited for them to have the production uh, to match how much of an impact they just have every day in our locker room. Big ACC win for Georgia Tech over the weekend at Duke. The Yellow Jackets 3-3 three and three with a bye week this weekend, and then a, a heck of a run to finish the season. Jeff Collins, kind enough to share a few minutes with us on the program. Coach, thank you so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. And, Ben, I thought good perspective from Coach Collins, talking about the energy around his program, which is still there, obviously recruiting going well, a lot of people talking about the program and the transition from the Flexbone offense. And he said something interesting where he was talking about we have to expect to win in close games. And he's right. You're a couple of plays away from being 5-1. and one. Even with that schedule, I think the bye week's coming at a good time. I think Georgia Tech has some confidence, and I think they'll be prepared, rested, ready to go for what might be the, the toughest second half in the country. 
BJ, the fact that they came into the season with the second, some people, some maybe even uh, consider the, the the hardest schedule in the country to be where they are right now, being 600 shows at Jeff Collins, uh, is making, you know, what he's saying, you know, the players are buying it at this point. And then, as he mentioned, I mean, what, seven points away from being five and one? I mean, played Clemson down to the brink, uh, really, really looked impressive against UNC. You, yes, North Illinois is going to be a game that's going to be a head scratcher, but BJ, I mean, you mentioned it, down the stretch, this could be a very, very dangerous Georgia Tech football team. Part of these emails that we may see more of, uh, the NFLPA petitioning the release of all of these emails from the investigation into the Washington football team and their culture. But uh, Gruden used racist, misogynistic, and homophobic language in emails uh, spanning sometime between 2011-2018, including comments against NFLPA Executive Director Demora Smith, just absolutely unacceptable uh, horrible, horrible things. Uh, ben, you played for John Gruden in 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 2008 uh, in Tampa. H- how have you processed this as someone who uh, played for Coach Gruden? Let me preface this by saying, uh, you know, John Gruden never ever showed any type of behavior like this in front of me. But I also got to say this: I don't know John Gruden. So when 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 everything happened with Demar Smith, I was very very disappointed in the players and the coaches because you're defending what is shown to you. They're asking you about what is said, what was said. And if you look at if you if you look at what um what John Gruden said, he goes, I apologize to the players, to the coaches, to Raiden. I love Raiden Nation. I don't want to be a distraction. And you know I'm gonna resign. He's not apologizing to the people he offended. He's not apologizing uh to the LGBTQ community. He's not apologizing to the Morris Smith. And when he says, quote, I didn't know that I was being racist or uh, offend- offensive to DeMora Smith. Well, you have been. Like, and the thing about it is I would love to say I'm disappointed. I mean, I would love to say I'm surprised, but I'm not. Because the thing about it is, BJ, you said it, from 2011 to 2018, that's a long time. And it's almost like if I'm, if, if, if I'm sick, I, I need to quit treating the symptoms, and I need to get down to the bed. Like, what? Why am I sick? And it's, and I and I and I say to say this about John Gruden. John Gruden is not the problem; he's a byproduct of a bigger problem. The fact that he didn't get fired because of what he said about Demora Smith is a bigger problem than it took something else yeah. for him to actually resign. I'm always intrigued when it comes to the National Football League when it comes to certain people. John Gruden is a big name in sports, regardless of uh, regardless of the sport. But he resigned because Mark Davis and the Davis and the Davis family are very, very close. Al Davis was very, very close to John Gruden. John Gruden signed a 10-year, $100 million contract out after being away from football for almost a decade. John Gruden has been a subpar coach since he's been back in coaching. John Gruden was making these uh, deflammatory-type statements by a lot of different people that represents a lot of different communities, and he had to resign. That's a problem. Because when it comes to players, we jump on them. When it comes to coaches, definitely people of power, we tend to have these all these people apologizing for them. This is me talking about what he said. I don't know John Gruden the person. But when you say I don't have a racist bone in my body, I call foul. Yes, you do. Like listen to the people you're talking about. So I I don't have all the sentiment. I didn't play for him long enough to get a a, a full depiction of who he is. I can only tell you. Great football mind, uh, you know, high-energy guy, but like all of us, has flaws. And 
Did the Raiders do the right thing? No. The Raiders waited on him to resign instead of firing him. That's a problem. Because when it comes to uh the flam- you know, when it comes to derogatory and inflammatory type statements about people, is that a means for you to lose your job? No. But when you break down what he said and how he said it and who he said it about, DeMar Smith should have been why he got fired, in my opinion. And all these other emails should have just been ices on the cake. But without these second emails, this is the thing. What if it's the other way around? What if he said all these other things first and DeMar Smith second? Do we still keep his job? We got to – I'm not coming at um, John Gruden. I'm just saying this is a bigger issue. that, And we know BJ and Cam, I'm always talking about either – Either the people that represent your brand matter or they don't. DeMora Smith got the matter. Protests got the matter. Uh, women in sports got the matter. The LGBT community got the matter. He has a current, Carl Nassib is a current, uh, you know, gay football player. So how would he have, so, so now you couldn't face him and you can't face your black players. You can't face, it's just too much for me. But I would look, but the problem is I'm not surprised, just disappointed. I mean, Ben took the words right out of my mouth. It's hard to come back from that, so I'll keep it short and simple. Um, I'm disappointed. Uh, this is a guy that was away from coaching for a decade and then just got handed $100 million. Um, and we're talking about him being a subpar coach when he was with the Raiders, when he was with Tampa outside of the Super Bowl, which was Tony Dungy's team. He was subpar. He didn't do much when he was in Tampa as well, and it's just disappointing to – Hear about emails that's going on, not for just, you know, a couple of months, for years, seven years. It's disappointing in the position that he's in where you know you have a lot of power. You have a voice that most people don't have, and you're abusing that power. And you come out publicly and say you didn't know it was going to hurt people. You're old enough. You're bright enough. You've been on TV. You've been in the spotlight to know things like that hurt people. And it's just disappointing to hear that in this day and age, in this society, with everything going with movements and things trying to just people trying to change things it's disappointing to hear stuff like that and you know I, I'm a man of forgiveness I don't like being in people business in the first place but when you hear stuff like this it's like come on dude you know better at this point you're old enough you have the common sense and it's just a disappointing situation yeah, very disappointing. And uh, on on Monday, uh, John Gruden resigning as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders and also removed from the Bucks Ring of Honor. Then uh, there's some speculation. There are uh, folks who want to see the, the totality of the emails, more emails. Do you think there could be uh, potentially, unfortunately, more, more neg- <clears throat> negative and offensive commentary out there? I do, because like I said, we're talking about a culture – and, 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 a, and a person within the culture. So I'm attacking the culture more than the coach. So, yes, BJ, and I do think I, – I do hope it all comes out because, like I said, if you can't tell me how you feel about me to my face, I don't want to read about it in the email. Just tell me, tell me how you feel about me. That way I know, you know, I know how to go about with you, you know, moving forward. Powerful perspective. We'll come back. We'll take three. We'll also chat with Bud Ellis of BravesWire.com. The Braves beat the Brewers 5-4 uh, last night to win the Series 3-1 and advance to the National League Championship. of days to rest. We'll also look at Georgia and Kentucky. You have uh, the Bulldogs, number one in the country. Number one in the country this late in the season for the first time since 1982. Kentucky 6-0 for the first time since 1950. So we'll see what happens. The line's still over 20 in this game, which is pretty interesting, but we'll get into that. However, we will throw it back to Cam as we take three here on a Wednesday afternoon. 
right, take three here on three and out. The Seattle Kraken officially debuted in the NHL last night, losing 4-3 to the Vegas Knights. Rank the Kraken name, nickname on a scale one to ten. Ten. But because it's different, right? And and some of their logos are really cool. You have like I don't I don't officially, I guess, know uh, in terms of a specific definition what a kraken is, but it's like a it's like a sea monster octopus kind of thing that eats ships and you know, so you have all kind of different cool logos and uh, I, I think their uniforms are really cool. I just think it's different. You know, we all see the same kind of kind of team names. And, you know, Seattle's on the coast, of course, and a sea monster makes sense, fits, it's hockey. You know, so I, I like it. I think it's a 10. I like the Kraken. And it, there's neat marketing stuff you can do with it, like the uniforms. I don't even know the rules of hockey, but I watched it last night to see the Kraken. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where the puck is. I can't follow it. I don't, I, I don't understand why players are coming off the ice and going back and forth so quick. There's whistles. There's face-offs. So I don't know what's happening, but I do know the Kraken. That's cool. Yes, I give, I give it an 11 because, BJ, at the end of the day, like you said, if I'm not, what would make me want to watch anything? Well, number one, if I don't know the players, I got, I, it's got to have a cool nickname. Okay, the Kraken. I've heard of the Kraken. And the thing is, if you ask 100 people what the Kraken is, they're going to give you 100 different answers. I don't. I really don't know what it is. I mean, BJ, you think it comes out of the sea? I think it got multiple heads. It might be a dragon. It might be able to fly. It might be around dungeons and dragons and gargoyles. All I know is this. If you got something where all the fans got to do is say, release the Kraken, I mean, if that don't get you fired up, nothing nothing else will. So, yes, I do not know what a Kraken is. I do know in hockey you can fight. I do, and that's all I need to know. But, yes, Seattle got rid of, got rid of the Supersonics. They're not the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're still trying to replace them as an NBA franchise. But if you're going to bring an NHL franchise and it's going to be called anything but the Kraken, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to hear about it. But because it is the Kraken, BJ, shout out, to, shout out to Seattle for actually doing their due diligence, saying, hey, marketing department, we're about to release the Kraken. Think about this. We're about to release. It's about to be the release of the releasing of the Kraken. Love it. Love it. Love it some more. Shout out to the Seattle Kraken uh, for, for getting it right. Because because we're talking about them while losing. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called a debut. Hey, I, I give it a BMS. Broke my scale. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I give it. I, I think this name is really cool. It's unique. Uh, I, I've never heard of a team called the Kraken. I still, to this day, don't know what a Kraken is. I've, I've, I've seen mythical creatures on TV shows, but no, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, man. Uh, it's a lot of marketability you can bring to it. I like it personally, and I mean, I think it's cool. Seattle always gets these cool nicknames for their, you know, they get the Mariners, Supersonics, Seahawks. Now you got the Kraken. I think that's really cool. Take two. So, uh, I, this is the big one right here. After Alabama's loss on Saturday, it's Bryce Young, still the Heisman Trophy favorite. I need you guys to list uh, your top four finalists right now. Okay. First question, I'm going to say yes. Okay. I, look, Bryce Young has been spectacular, and he's doing it with the pressure of having to replace Mack and Tua and Jalen Hurd. I mean, to step right in with very little experience and maintain the historic production and proficiency we've seen is very, very impressive. And they didn't lose on Saturday because of their offense, okay? I mean, you lost the game, but Texas A&M scored 41 points. You didn't lose because uh, you, you only got in the end zone once. Alabama had 38 points. Bryce Young had over 300 yards passing. I think he's the favorite. Now, Cam, I will give you this. 
sometimes when I look at these lists, I go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking before the show, and you said, man, Kenneth Walker has got to be on the list, and I agree. So I'll put him on the list. I'm going to give you credit for that. The Michigan State running back has almost 1,000 yards, is averaging over seven yards per carry. And the thing about Kenneth Walker, ACC fans, if that sounds familiar, he was at Wake Forest last year. So he's a transfer out of the ACC, and he's doing a fantastic job at Michigan State. So outside of Bryce Young and Kenneth Walker, I think Matt Corral, what Matt Corral has done, uh, you know, wasn't great in the first half against Alabama, but outside of that, has been absolutely spectacular. And not only is he putting up the big-time passing numbers and doing so taking care of the football, uh, he does not have an interception yet this season. He's been running the heck out of the football. He has eight rushing touchdowns. I want to repeat, he has eight rushing touchdowns. The national leader, Kenneth Walker, has nine. So not only is he a big-time passer, but he is running the ball as well. And then for me, my fourth finalist is going to be Grayson McCall out of Coastal Carolina. And there are some other guys. I wanted to put Kenny Pickett in there out of Pitt. I wanted to put Chris Rodriguez in there uh, out of Kentucky. But Grayson McCall out of Coastal Carolina has still not not lost this season or last season. He hadn't lost in his career in the regular season, lost a bowl game. But you have a guy that's on pace to set a new single-season passer rating record for college football, a new yards per attempt record, and a new completion percentage record. What he's doing statistically has never been done before. So for me, Bryce Young, Matt Corral, Kenneth Walker, and Grayson McCall, with Bryce Young still being the slight favorite. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to let one loss for a team in Texas A&M that was trying to, uh, 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 trying to avoid an 0-3 uh, you know, slide in the SEC West. I give a lot of credit to Texas A&M, but Bryce Young is a big reason why Alabama's in the position that they're in. He's still my Heisman front-runner, BJ, if I'm not mistaken. 20 touchdown passes, four interceptions. I mean, you'll take that for any player at any given time. This guy is trying to be the first ever, first ever Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback for Alabama, which is crazy when you think about all the success they had. But, yes, he's still my Heisman front-runner. Uh, my number two, uh, what my, my list, my, my number one is Bryce Young. My number two is Matt Corral. My number three is C.J. Stroud, quarterback out of Ohio State. Yep. This is the guy that, you know, we, we, we lose our mind because he lost, uh, you know, to an Oregon early in the season. We're like, oh, just write these guys off. They're not as, you haven't been watching that man since. This man is putting up huge numbers. Still, They still got everything in front of them, and Mr. Stroud has a lot to do with it. So shout out to C.J. Stroud for, you know, not worrying about the haters, just, you know, controlling what he can control going out there and balling. And my number four is Mr. B. Mr. B. Uh, Mr. B. John Robinson. I hope I'm saying B. John, B. John. I hope I'm not butchering the young man's name for my running back out of Texas. The reason why, 19 years old, B.J., coming into this season, uh, you knew they were going to run the ball a lot. This young man does not disappoint head. Had a little over 700 yards on the season last year. Got got already surpassed that this year. I think eight touchdowns. They don't give him the ball enough. When, you, when I think, look, kind of reminds me, BJ, a lot of like a slashier Ricky Williams. You know, for those, and yes, I'm telling my age right now, but very slashy. I can catch some, the new thing, BJ, too, which I know you love, the Travis Etienne effect. That is catching the ball out the backfield, making plays, making plays without having to, you know, run the football. So, yeah, so, you know, so Bryce Young, Matt Corral, Mr. C.J. Stroud, Yes, he's still out there. And Mr. Bijan Robinson, running back from them boys from Austin. All right, guys, this is what kind of takes me off about college football fans. Bryce Young in the loss had 369 yards and three touchdowns. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, he is still a part of the Heisman race. But I have him at number two. I got Kenneth Walker at one. Um, I I just think he's deserving. On On my list, he's the only undefeated player. 
So uh, his team's undefeated. They have a lot of football ahead of them, but I got him number one. He's 100 yards ahead of the second leading rusher in the country. And I think he has, like, the same amount of carries. The dude's just going crazy. I have Bryce Young at two, 20 touchdowns, three picks. Like I said, 369 yards in a L. That's not his fault they lost. They, they scored 38 points. Your defense gives up 41. Not his fault. Number three, I have C.J. Stroud. And I agree with Ben. He's the one guy that could bolster – he, he, he's the one that guy that can bolster up his resume. He has, I want to say, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, and another top 10 team, possibly Iowa in the Big Ten Championship if they get there. He has the best chance to win the Heisman this year. He's putting up, you know, video game numbers, 18 touchdowns, three picks. He has a chance. And then my number four is Matt Corral, 20 touchdowns, zero interceptions on the season, 20 total touchdowns, zero interceptions. And I'll give you a dark horse. This guy's been doing good, Desmond Ritter. He, I mean, hey, he's undefeated. Cincinnati's number three. A, a group of five teams, number three. So that's my dark horse. That's my uh, finalist right there. And take three. If number two Iowa played an entire season in the SEC West, where would they finish? Yeah, and this is one of those questions when you, you know, follow the SEC and you're an SEC fan where you feel like you're supposed to say, oh, man, they would be down near the bottom. There's no way they could play with this team or that team. But I want to kind of catch myself and reel myself in with that because what Iowa has done is is very impressive. And beating Penn State is a is a is is an impressive win. I mean, I know the transitive property is difficult to do, but uh, in, in, in college football because it doesn't apply even week to week. But, of course, Penn State beat Auburn and, and Iowa – beat Penn State. And I think defensively, this group is really elite, especially in the secondary. Man, uh, line of scrimmage, the offensive line is really good. Uh, You're going to run the ball. I think at this point, I'm not picking anybody to play with Alabama. I I, I don't care who you're talking about. Uh, So I I, I think clearly Alabama would still win the division. Maybe I look at Ole Miss and you're, 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 you're talking about a team where I think there's still some things unsettled with Ole Miss, whereas they didn't beat Alabama. I don't think anybody expected them to, but defensively, can they continue to improve? You know, you had to get uh, a, a play in a game where you won 52 to 51 to beat Arkansas. So I think there's still some relative questions with Ole Miss, but I think for me, if you want to say they'd be competing with Ole Miss for number two, uh, I, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, Texas A&M just beat Alabama. I get that. But, Ben, you've always said, hey, look at the whole season, not just one game. Well, they haven't been very impressive, if we're being honest. And maybe they'd be right there competing with Texas A&M. Uh, I think they would beat Mississippi State. I think they would probably beat Arkansas. I think they would uh, be one of those teams that probably beat Auburn. So I think if you want to say competing for the number two or three spot, that feels reasonable for me. Well, listen, I am pumping my brakes on the two or three spot, BJ. I am not doing the recent, the recency bias type thing. I do agree, Alabama – is going to win the division no matter what. Texas A&M shows you that when the competition is there and, and they play their best, they can beat the best team in the country. Ole Miss is going to put up points. And, that, and, and the, thing about, the thing about it is this. Ole Miss has always won with offense. It's never been about defense, even though Iowa is going to bring a defense. Arkansas is, is, is very, very recent. Very recent. So they can probably compete with them. Mississippi State, well, all they're going to do is throw the ball. They care about putting up. Lighting up box scores, they don't care about winning games as much, so they can compete with them. LSU and Auburn are the head scratchers because LSU, you know, is going to have a good enough team, BJ, but then they'll lay an egg. 
And Auburn, it's just a curious case of Auburn. Whenever we expect them to not get things done. So, yes, I, I, at first, I was going to say they're going to be competing for last. But I've come around. Alabama, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. After that, I think they can compete for the fourth to fifth spot. I, I, I got I got them playing that boring, slow, paint, watching paint dry, Big Ten football. I actually have them finishing five or six. Uh, and the reason why is that, I mean, we're talking about the SEC West. We didn't even say the whole SEC. So that's how, how, that's how tough it is. But I got them finishing five or six because I saw them play Penn State. They were down. If Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, I think Penn State wins that ball game. We saw probably, well, uh, we could say Auburn's the fourth best team in the SEC West, maybe the fifth after Texas A&M now, and they just took Penn State to the brink on the road. Uh, who's who's to say they couldn't do that against Iowa? Um, I think Arkansas lost against they lost against Ole Miss, who I think is a top five team in the country regardless of their record, and then they lost to uh, Georgia, who's the best team in the country right now. So. I mean, with all due respect, you know, Iowa's number two. I think they'll win out because of their schedule is kind of, you know, on the weaker side. But I just don't – I don't see them getting through that SEC West gauntlet. I really don't. Uh, only only the strong survive in the SEC, and I just don't see it happening. Man, see, you guys are making good points now, and now I'm starting to second guess my initial second guessing. Because at first, I'm like, no, they're going to be fifth or sixth. Then I'm going, they're number two in the country – it, 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 it's a fun thing to think about, and theoretically, we have to see how the uh, how the season plays out. We could be in a situation where we're comparing a one-loss or who knows how it plays out. Maybe a two-loss SEC champion uh, and, and, and a one-loss Big Ten champion or Iowa after they run through the Big Ten, which has, what, four teams or whatever in the top ten. How do we evaluate their resume and maybe compare it to a Georgia and Alabama? So... Uh, there's a lot of football left, but some some form or fashion, you're going to be comparing Big Ten teams to SEC teams at the end of the year. And and good point. It, 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 it's fun to think about, and we'll learn more about Iowa certainly moving forward uh, this season. We'll come back. Bud Ellis, Braves Wire will join us. It is three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, ESPN, Coast Hockey, series over. Atlanta advances to the National League Championship Series. We'll see if uh, the Braves are going to face the Dodgers or Giants uh, or who it will be tomorrow night. But with us now to talk about Atlanta, where this team is, can can the Braves make a run at the World Series? Can they win the World Series? Bud Ellis, Braves Wire with us on the program. Bud, good to hear from you. How are you? Hey, boys. How's it going, boy? What a, uh, what a remarkable uh, few weeks it's been for the uh, Atlanta Braves franchise and for its fan base. I don't think a couple months ago anybody expected that we'd be sitting here in the middle of football season talking about a deep playoff run for the Braves. But here they are. Bud, you're exactly right. And not that long ago, the Braves had a losing record. Uh, Ronald Acuna had just been injured out for the season, one of the two or three best players in baseball. And I think at that point, a lot of people were looking around going, it's probably time to focus on next season. Uh, The Braves make some key additions. They rally, they get hot, play well against the Phillies and the Mets. And not only do you win the division again, you get in the playoffs and you handle a really good Milwaukee team Kind of contextualize this for us, for Atlanta to turn around, for the Braves to make another run the way they have. Yeah, I mean, obviously Alex Antopoulos deserves a tremendous amount of credit for what he did at the trading deadline. You know, I'm I'm a hockey guy as well, and and you roll lines out there onto the ice, and he basically was rolling a third line of outfielders out there with the additions that he made at the trade deadline. But look, let's face it, two days after the trade deadline, the Braves lost the series 
to Milwaukee and Atlanta. They were three games under 500 and five games out of first place. And it just didn't seem tenable for this team without Ronald Acuna Jr., without Marcelo Zuna, without Mike Soroka all year. Travis Darnot was, you know, still out at the time. It just didn't seem tenable that this team was going to be able to turn things around. But, you know, the thing that I come back to is you got to be able to pitch well to win. And when I look at Max Freed and the fact that if you go back to early June through eight starts, his ERA was north of five. The way Max Freed has pitched since the All-Star break, the way Charlie Morton has pitched really since the first month of the season, and the way that Ian Anderson pitched after, you know, take out the first couple starts when he came back from shoulder inflammation in late August, the way he pitched down the stretch. Again, the Braves are really formidable top three in their rotation. And I think what we saw in the Milwaukee series is we saw a, a team that has finally kind of settled into who they are now with the additions of guys like Jorge Soler, who obviously didn't play yesterday, but Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, um, Oh, Adam Duvall, obviously, this is a different team. This is not your typical 88-win team. The Braves have played at about a 95-win pace over the last two months. And I tell you what, we've seen a lot of Atlanta teams through the years that won 98 games, 101 games, 102 games, and lost to a team that won 88 games or 90 games in the division series because that team was playing better. And it's kind of unique for the shoe to be on the other foot right now because while the Braves at 88 wins had the fewest wins of any team in the playoffs, the fact of the matter is they're playing very well right now in all aspects of the game that you have to have in the postseason, and that's good starting pitching, effective bullpen usage, great defense, situational hitting, and we saw that on display in the division series. But one thing that stands out about this team outside of the culture is it's just poised. Like, no matter – they go down game one and everybody's like, oh, here we go again. But then they rally, you know, three in a row. Talk about the poise and the patience of this team, especially with some of these guys who only been here since the trade deadline. Yeah, you know, you know, Ben, I, I, was, I was thinking about this last night driving home, right? And, I mean, you know this as far as culture goes. When you add pieces midseason, there's an assimilation period where it takes guys time, but – if you didn't know better, you would think that the Braves broke camp at the end of March with guys like Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler. I mean, they just fit right in, and they filled an instant need that this team had. And one of the things that, that you know, I think the, the average person overlooks is the value of just that, that culture. Um, looking down in that dugout, the last two games being a truest part, I mean, there were times where you thought you were looking at a, a high school team or an American Legion team. I mean, half the team's out of the dugout to greet guys when they're coming in from home plate after scoring a run. There's a, there's a real sense that I think this team has bought into of, hey, not really a whole lot of expectations. Obviously, a lot of things have happened. The season kind of flew completely off the rails. And nobody would have blamed Alex Anthopoulos for throwing in the towel and just saying, hey, Let's just go ahead and trade a couple veterans, let some kids play, and we'll run it back in 2022. Instead, he went and he got the help that this team needed, and they have just taken off. And I tell you, it's been pretty remarkable to watch because I don't know if this team can win two more playoff series, but after watching them play, especially the last month or so, when you factor in 
the big games they had to win on that West Coast road trip, the way they took care of the Phillies to lock up the division, the way they bounced back from that game one loss were able to navigate the final three innings with Lou Jackson and Tyler Matzik and Will Smith in Milwaukee, and then for them to come through the way that they did, not just in game three, but especially after falling behind twice in game four last night, Milwaukee hadn't scored in 22 innings. They put two runs on the board finally. Well, the biggest punch in the gut for the Brewers was the Braves to bounce right back and score two in the bottom half of the fourth. And who did it? Eddie Rosario, one of the new guys. There, there, there's something that's cooking with this team right now. It, it's been pretty remarkable to watch. We're chatting with Bud Ellis, BravesWire.com, Atlanta advancing to the National League Championship Series. The home run from uh, Freddie Freeman, Bud, I know you've seen a lot of great moments. Uh, Atlanta's had, you know, highlight after highlight over the years, but does that one rank as uh, one of the, I guess, more powerful moments, one of the more electric moments to be facing Hayter, uh, to try to avoid a return trip to Milwaukee and to just take it deep in the eighth inning? How special was that? Yeah, you know, I, I was trying to think about it. You know, I was in the building for Eric Hinsky's big home run in Game 3 against the Giants in 2010. Obviously, the Brooks Conrad error kind of unraveled that the next inning. I was in the building for Adam Duvall's pinch hit homer in Game 2 against the Cardinals. But I tell you what, I, I can't think of a better home run or spot that an Atlanta Braves has hit and I know this is high praise, but this goes all the way back to David Justice's sixth-inning homer off Jim Poole in Game 6 of the World Series in 1995, the only run scored in the Braves' World Series clincher. I mean, in that moment, you're facing Josh Hader. It's Freddie Freeman. He's the face of the franchise. He's the one cornerstone piece who stayed here through the rebuild. And for him to come through in that moment against Hader, left on left, eighth inning, in that spot, I mean, that's one of those moments. It might sound like hyperbole, but I'm 48. If I live to be 98, I think I'll still be talking about what I saw last night. That was an absolutely epic moment. But how how much do we not really appreciate what Freddie Freeman does, not just for the Braves before, you know, like MLB? He's – He's, he's a superstar, bona fide, but he doesn't have a look-at-me mentality. He doesn't have a listen-I-want-my-money mentality. He goes out there. He's about as clutch as clutch gets, and he's been on a good Braves team and a bad Braves team. How much are we really not appreciating just how great Freddie Freeman is for the game of baseball? You know, you know Ben, if I go back years ago, I would think, yeah, I think Freddie Freeman is probably underappreciated on a national scale, right? Those of us who watch him every day, know how good he is. He's probably the best two-strike hitter in the game um, with his approach. And obviously, you know, he plays, you know, gold glove caliber defense at first base. That's the best infield in baseball that plays at Truist Park. And Freddie Freeman's a big part of that at first base and his ability to lead quietly, hit second or third in the order. But what we've seen as the Braves have emerged from this rebuild, you know, you go back to that game three against the Dodgers, the Acuna Grand Slam game, well, that tied the game. You know, you know, that game ended up tied late. And Freddie Freeman hit a home run in the sixth inning to win it. Of course, he hit a couple home runs in the NLCS last year. The base hit to beat the Reds in game one last year. And, and then, of course, the signature moment last night. I think Freddie Freeman's cachet has continued to increase on the national level. From a local level, I think those of us who watch him play every day realize from the very beginning this guy could be pretty good. Remember, he hit the home run in 2012 that won the game that sent the Braves into the playoffs into the wild card against my, you know, 
you know, off Mike Dunn of the Marlins to clinch that wild card burst. So Freddie Freeman has been coming up clutch for a long time. Um, he's a pleasure to watch every day. And, and I got a feeling, I know there's a lot of angst about his future with his contract expiring and free agency looming. Um, I have a feeling that Freddie Freeman's going to be right back at Truist Park for years to come. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat that too much. He is too important to this franchise for them to let go away. He wants to be here. Alex wants him here. They'll bang out something and get it done in the offseason. I'm, I'm, on, I'm really confident of that. Bud, finally, I know two teams with, I believe, what, 106, 105 wins, somewhere around there, but we'll have a game five between the Dodgers and Giants. Who would you rather the Braves face out of those two? Well, as someone who, who cut his baseball teeth on disliking the Dodgers in the early 80s and those great National League West races in 82 and 83, and then, of course, the, the, the storybook 1991 season, with what happened last year, I, I think there's a part of you that would really love to get another shot at the Dodgers. And then I start thinking about facing Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller and then coming back with um, – with Walker, with um, with Julio Urias, who's going to start Game Five, and I very quickly realized that if you're a Braves fan and you want to see this team play in the World Series, even though you would not have home field against the San Francisco Giants, I think you want the Giants to win that game tomorrow night. They're going to roll Logan Webb out in Game Five, who's been their best starter. The drop off, the second and third parts of the rotation, the two guys that you would see on Saturday and Sunday out there. While Kevin Gosman and Anthony DeSantina have been pretty good this year, there's something about facing them versus facing Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller possibly four times in a seven-game series, not to mention Urias, who's a candidate for the Cy Young. I like the Braves matchup against the Giants. I, I think the Braves could definitely beat the Dodgers, but I think that road is a lot more difficult, even though you would have home field if you play the Dodgers, because even though they won 106 games in the regular season, They got into the dance as a wild card, and the wild card cannot have home field in the LCS round. Bud Ellis, BravesWire.com. The Braves moving on to the NLCS. Bud, thanks so much for the time as always. All right. Thanks, boys. We'll talk to you soon. And we'll get get into this a little bit later. I think we all agree with the preferred matchup uh, in the NLCS. We'll find out tomorrow night. But we'll get into that later when we come back. Georgia, Kentucky, ESPN College Game Day. Going to be on site again. Number one, Georgia against a Kentucky team that's knocking on the door of the top 10. We'll break that down when we come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, ESPNCoastal.com. Can it be a distraction? And, I, you know, you've seen on social media, uh, you know, former players, current players, Kirby, you know, hey, we want to be number one at the end of the year. And you understand that. But, Ben, number one, having the spotlight on you, before we get into the specific matchup with Kentucky, how do you handle being number one in the country? <clears throat> number one, embrace it. Like, don't act, don't act as if this is this isn't an accomplishment. I mean, I know, I know what Kirby Smart is saying, BJ. They want to be number one at the end of the year, but this is the thing: can you used to being in the top spot? Uh, Kirby Smart has, has done nothing but elevated uh, the program at Georgia since he's been there. They've been they, they've been they've been trending towards uh, you know being number one at what they, what. The, the first time they've been number one since like 1982. This uh, this early in the season, but BJ. But you also you also got to you also got to taper this thing as well. Embrace it, but understand that this is a moment. The only team we used to see being number one at, for a consistent time is Alabama and Clemson. Well, 
Clemson, that's not happening. Alabama's number five. So if you are Georgia, yes, you embrace it, but you also understand that now everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting to see because now, BJ, if, I'm saying if, if they lose, it's going to be all these things we make up, right? Oh, they couldn't handle the top spot. They couldn't handle the pressure. They started reading news clippings. It, it, it will become less about the team that played them and more about, you know, them just, you know, not being being ready for the moment. But I do think you embrace it, BJ. You, you understand that you earned this. They didn't just give you number one because you Georgia. You earned this. You've run the gauntlet. You see what you did against Clemson. You see what you did against, you know, Auburn. I mean, you've had some big-time quality wins this year. So embrace it, but understand that the most important game is the next game on the schedule, and that's Kentucky. <sighs> Guys, I'm a Georgia fan, big Georgia fan. But uh, – I'm a little nervous. I'm nervous. I don't like being number one. Not, not at this point of the season because I've seen the disappointment happen with Georgia and a few years back, when, well, not a few years back, like a decade back, with Matthew Stafford and no Sean Marino and the crew. I just, you know, and I got my heart broken when they played Alabama and got dismantled. Um, This is a huge game. And I think Georgia will be just fine because we're at home. We're comfortable at home. We're, we're comfortable in Athens. It's going to be rocking. Game day is coming back to Athens. 3.30 kickoff, CBS, all that good stuff is going to be fun. But we have to watch ourselves now. It's still some, some games that need to be played. Uh, that number one spot, we know Icky, outside of Bama, who just went down, but normally Bama hold is, holds it down. It's, it's not very consistent by all of the teams that, are, that usually are number one. You still got Florida. That's, that's going to be a game. I don't care what anybody says. That's going to be a game. That's a game every year. And then you got to go travel to Tennessee, who's been pretty hot as of late. Just a little nervous, guys. Uh, I don't know what to really take from it, just being a Georgia fan. So I'll just be humble and just say, you know, I'm happy we're, we're just a top team right now. Put it like that. A couple of thoughts. I, I, I do agree with what you said at first, Ben. I think you have to embrace – the, the the spotlight, right? If you if you kind of have this, don't talk about being number one. We're not going to look at the polls. We're not going to discuss the rankings. You know, that's that comes across as is 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 sort of fake because everybody knows where you're ranked. Everybody knows that everybody else is talking about it. You're the you're the team around the country, not just in the state of Georgia or in the Deep South that everybody's talking about. It, it it's there. Embrace it. Talk about it. Uh, Kirby Smart has always said, pressure is a privilege. Well, you have the pressure now, and I think it's something that you you openly discuss with your players. You, I, I even think you celebrate it to a certain extent. Hey, we're number one. We're not done. We're not satisfied. We haven't reached our goals, but like you said, uh, Georgia's been the best, hottest, most consistent team in the country to get to this point. That's not something you, you, you refuse to look at because you're worried if you say it out loud, you're going to lose your next game. You're number one in the country. You've earned that. I think you embrace it. Now, Cam. In terms of this game, yeah, I, I I do think, and I've been very wrong on this front this season. I thought Auburn was going to be closer. But I do think this is the kind of game where it's going to be closer than we've seen late. And I think that's the case for a couple of reasons. Number one, the style Kentucky plays is not conducive to getting blown out. You have some teams that they might stay with you, and maybe Tennessee's a good example of that. If Tennessee's not right there with Georgia, it's probably going to be a blowout because the style of play that they utilize. I look at Kentucky, they're going to run the football. Chris Rodriguez, and again, good luck against that front seven, but Chris Rodriguez is as good as it gets. 
Will Levis has some mobility. You can move the chains. Defensively, Kentucky is really good. Not Georgia good, but look at what Kentucky did to Florida. I mean, held Florida to just 13 points. So I think a team with a really good defense and a team that is going to consistently try to run the football that has a really good offensive line isn't likely to lose 41-3 to because the way they play kind of keeps them in games. And I do think that might be a relatively new thing for Georgia. The Clemson game was close, but I think, Cam Ben, if you're, if you're in a game and let's say Georgia's leading – you know, 17 to 10 in the third quarter, that'll be a relatively new thing. And I think from Kentucky's standpoint, the goal is absorb the, you know, the momentum and the energy early and just try to stay within reach. Just try to stay within a score or two. Well, I'll put it like this. Um, Kentucky, out of the six games, they've played five at home. So this is going to be something totally different. They haven't been in an environment like this. South Carolina is a hostile environment, but not Athens on a Saturday when they just became the number one team in the country. But I will say this, this is what you just said. If the score is 17 to 10 at the end of the third, middle of the third quarter, you could keep this game close and say you don't even win this game. You look at the rest of the schedule is favorable to the point where they could go 11 and one. And, you know, they won't play in the SEC championship if they lose to Georgia, obviously. And they go 11 and one. And they went out the rest of their way. And their only lone losses to Georgia, say, by 14 points. It gets weird. Things start getting weird because now you got, like, seven one-loss teams. This is the reason why they're bringing up the new college football playoffs. You got seven one-loss teams. And there's no way, unless you're going to do the Texas A&M last year, who got blown out by Bama, I mean, by Bama. But if Kentucky loses to Georgia by 14, which is a decent, respectful game, and they go 11-1, how can you keep them out? So – it's interesting. That's why I was just thinking in my head, like, all oh, this is just crazy. This this is what happens when, uh, you know, bigger bigger than Georgia being number one, uh, you know, Kentucky comes in uh, undefeated. And BJ, I think I think you I think you make a great point as well as Cam. I mean, Cam got these scenarios in his head right now, talking about what if a you know Kentucky team only loses to Georgia, they go eleven and one. Georgia, what make what makes it what makes them the peculiar case is BJ. You said being number one. Forget the fact they want to end number one. How many teams has ever said they've been ranked number one at any time when they played? That's a very, very small group of people. But that also makes the stakes go up. Because now you got to win the eye test. Not only are you winning, how you winning, how you looking. So, yeah, I do think it's going to be a good game, BJ. And the thing is, you know what Georgia's going to do, right? Can Alabama be stingy on offense and say, we're not going to let you take away what we do? We're going to try to run the ball. Because Will Levis, he's been good as of late, not great as of late. I mean, this when the rubber going to meet the road. But uh, I, I do think you got the premier coach, BJ, and Kirby Smart versus the, the up-and-coming, never, ever getting his credit, and Coach Stoops. But, hey, man, I mean, Kentucky has shown, once again, we respect everybody, but they fear no one. But between the hedges, as, as, uh, you know, as Cam mentioned, it's way different than up there in, uh, in old Columbia. And uh, Stetson Bennett doing a great job at the quarterback spot. We'll have to see the health of JT Daniels. You know, read some reports, maybe doing a little bit more at practice. But uh, quickly, Ben, if you're if you're Kirby Smart, how do you manage that situation? I just think BJ, you know, uh, you just, you just go with the hot hand. Don't don't try to don't try to 
make this thing more than what it is. I understand what happened with JT Daniels and different things of that nature, but you're going to make a bad situation worse because if you're on that you're on that Kentucky defense and you know you're coming in with a guy that's already got a, a hurt oblique or whatever, you know, a hurt stern or what may have you, you're going to be you're going to be attacking it. So then it's not even about getting him on the grind, it's about hitting him. So now he's going into a game injured and he's going to come or he's going into a game hurt. He's going to come out of a game injured. And BJ, you know, one of our favorite movies uh, the program, he said, are you injured or are you hurt? He said, well, what's the difference? Well, you know, hurt means you can't play. Injured means you can't. Well, right now he's hurt. You put him in that game, he's going to come out injured. Then it's the one thing to have Stetson in. It's another thing to need him because he's the only eligible body you got left that can help you still get to the promised land. Speaking of college football, did you guys see the Sun Belt statement uh, last night that Louisiana made over Appalachian State? We'll discuss that. It's three and out. The Southern Peaks win for the Raging Cajuns. They outgained the Mountaineers. 455 total yards to 213. Georgia Southern will play Appalachian State later in the year. It's a big midweek stretch for the Sun Belt as you had Louisiana over App State last night. And then tomorrow night, you have Georgia Southern over in Mobile taking on South Alabama. But keep an eye on uh, the Raging Cajuns. Just that just that one loss to Texas at the beginning of the year. And I, this is kind of tough to speculate on, but uh, – Rumors that maybe there will be an opening at LSU potentially down the line. That is not the case right now. But do you think that if you're LSU, Billy Napier right there at Louisiana, do you think that he would be a potential candidate if that were to happen? Absolutely, BJ. You want to always have a person that's already in the state who understands the culture, who understands uh, walking into these young men's uh, living rooms, letting them know I got a proven track record in a, you know, in a G5, even though I might be going up. Uh, to the P5. But yes, BJ, Coach Billy Neighbor is definitely uh, going to be uh, one of the leading candidates for that LSU job. But this is the difference, though, BJ. You want the money, you want the platform, you want the infrastructure. But as you realize, look at the type of coach you are following. Saban, Miles, Ogeron, them some big shoes to fit. And, and I'm not calling for Ogeron's job, but yes, if they're going to reach out, they're going to reach out to a guy who understands what you know how to recruit in the great state of Louisiana. But a big win for Coach Napier and Louisiana last night over Appalachian State, 41-13. to You'll have uh, Georgia Southern and South Alabama coming up on Thursday night. And uh, we'll hear from Kevin Whitley, interim head coach at Georgia Southern, coming up in Hour 3, along with Jeff Collins, head football coach at Georgia Tech. We'll also talk Braves. The Atlanta Braves are into the NLCS. Can they win the World Series? I want to just straight up address it. We'll get into it. Can the Atlanta Braves win the World Series? They were close to getting there last year. We'll do that next. Three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, ESPNCoastal.com. Hush, hush around talking about the Braves and the World Series, right? With Georgia and, and being number one, it's don't talk about it. You know, it's going to become a distraction. Don't talk about it. When in reality, you are number one. You're number one in the country. The Atlanta Braves are four wins away from the World Series. You don't know who it's going to be yet. Is it going to be the Dodgers? Is it going to be the Giants? I think we all agree the Atlanta Braves would probably rather face the Giants, and that's with all due respect. That's a team that won the division. Remember, L.A. did not win the division. San Francisco did. But I think you feel like you probably match up a little better with the Giants. But why are we not embracing the possibility that Atlanta could make the World Series? I know we've all been surprised to a positive extent by the last month the last two months, the way this team has played. But I don't think you derail any momentum or look past anybody if, as fans, you say, hey, this team's got a great chance to make the World Series. And that shouldn't be a shock. You were on the verge last year. 
you just look really good in a series that very few people expected you to win. Most people had Milwaukee. You won that without having to go back to Milwaukee. I think you should feel confidently, maybe a little more confidently against the Giants, but Ben, I think you should feel like you can play with whoever you face. This team can make the World Series. Yes, they can make the World Series, BJ. They don't got to play with confidence. They can play with what they've been playing with. Play with poise. Play with, you know, play with uh, patience, but play with conviction. Like, no one says this about the Dodgers, BJ. Clayton Kershaw finally got over the hump. He won't be the Dan Marino of, of baseball and saying he never, ever won it, right? And they gave him a tremendous roster around him. Well, who the team he had to beat to go to the World Series? That would be the Braves. Everybody thought, oh, Braves had a sample size. Ian Anderson, those guys, you know, they only was in the playoffs because, you know, it was a, you know, it was a shortened season. Nope. 2021, different, different characters, same result. And, BJ, I do agree. No one, look, look. I, no one wants to play the Dodgers, man. Like the Dodgers are arguably the best team in baseball. They got to start. They got to. Their starting pitcher is elite. Their team around them is elite. Their bullpen is elite. And I'm not saying the Braves don't have elite talent. They they, they don't have an elite team. And just because the Braves, people always go, "What about the regular season? What about it?" You had a gazillion games left when they played the Dodgers in the regular season. So I don't want to hear that. So yes, BJ, can this Braves team make a World Series? Yes, because Aren't the Braves on, way ahead of schedule? Like, they were just supposed to be a team that's trending back to the playoffs. Now, they're, they're, you know, they're uh, you know, year in, year out, usual suspect in the playoffs. And dare I say, they got to make the next year. And they're doing all this without Acuna, all this without Soroka, all this without Marcelo Zuna. So can they make the World Series, BJ? Yes. Can they win it? We'll talk about that when they get to it. But can they make it? Absolutely. But I do think – uh, the Giants will be a much better matchup because I just think the Dodgers are so freaking dangerous in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I, I think they can win it as well. I think they can make it and win it. And I, I, I have a few reasons why. Um, just because your record wasn't better than, you know, last year's team doesn't make you better than last year's team. And the reason why I like this Braves team so much, you get to play with house money. If you lose and go home, that's what's expected. So when you have no expectations from – your fans, organization, and they're, they're just thinking, oh, we made the playoffs, we're kind of fun to watch, cool, you go home. But now you're exceeding expectations. There's no more expectations to be fulfilled. And if you exceed it, good to go. I think this team is just dangerous. And whoever they play, the Dodgers or Giants, I would love them to play the Giants over the Dodgers. I think Dodgers are just more talented. They had injuries this year. That's why they didn't beat the um, Giants in their division. Um, but – Man, whoever they play, they're, they're going to have a hard time. And being the opponent for the Braves is going to have a hard time because this team, they don't care. They just want to go out there, play baseball, and they're gonna, they want to win games. So I really do like this team. They have a chance. They're deep, like you said, and they're missing a lot of key guys. Imagine this team. I don't want to get ahead of schedule because we're in the playoffs. They're in the conference championship. But imagine this team next year when they get Soroka, um, Marcel, and they get – uh, Acuna back they get all those guys back even more dangerous it's it's exciting to see and I'm glad I'm able to see a Atlanta franchise put things together the right way even after losing some of their stars because we're not accustomed to seeing that and just kudos to the Braves well I, I do think a matchup with San Francisco feels like a better matchup but keep this in mind and, and, and Bud Ellis reminded us of this earlier in the show if, if it is L.A., you'll have home field advantage because the Braves are a division winner and the Dodgers are not. Now, I don't know how much of a factor that is, but if you see L.A. win tomorrow night and you're thinking, oh, man, I really wanted to play the Giants, 
understand that the silver lining there will be may prove to be that you have home field advantage against the Dodgers. And, you know, I think in the playoffs you've had, of course, great atmospheres there at Truist. But I think the Giants are the are the team that you probably feel is a little less complete than the Dodgers. But in terms of the Braves, what I like about Atlanta is 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 the balance. And this is a team that clearly can go up there and beat you by hitting home runs. And there was a time in baseball where the small ball way, especially in the National League, was the way to do it. You think about advancing the runner and stealing bases and uh, splitting gaps and things like that. I'm not totally sure that's the case anymore. I mean, you look at the Braves and the Dodgers out of the National League, these are teams that are hitting home runs and hitting a lot of home runs. And something Kevin has talked about, every guy in the lineup can do that. You know, when you have Solaire in there leading off, he led the American League in home runs a couple of years ago. We know what Freddie can do. We know what Ozzie can do. Austin Riley batting cleanup. You have Adam Duvall batting fifth, who almost has 40 home runs and led the National League in RBI, and he's batting fifth. And then you talk about Dansby Swanson with the record RBI numbers. Uh, Travis Darno can obviously hit. Guys like Jock Peterson, who might not even start, up near 20 home runs. So I think you can play the power game if you need to. But I also think what's been very impressive, and we've seen this throughout the playoffs, as Atlanta has the best postseason ERA right now of anybody in the playoffs. That's one five four, which is absurd, ridiculous is Atlanta can win games 2-1 to one if they have to. And, and I think we say this about football teams all the time. A good football team can win games. A great football team can win games ugly, can win games however they have to do it. You might not outscore somebody 38-37 or win a game 12-10. to 10. I think the Atlanta Braves are the baseball version of that where if you want to have a, a, a – if it turns out to be a pitching showcase, you have guys that have done that. If it turns out to be a home run derby, you have guys that have done that. And I think that versatility might be the biggest key for Atlanta this postseason. Yeah, BJ, and they get to play loose. I mean, something that Cam said, I think, you know, outside outside of the Braves organization, outside of Truist Park, nobody really expected the Braves to be able to make a deep run because they'll say, well, it's the Braves versus, you know, the Dodgers. There's the Braves versus the Giants and things of that nature. But – you got to embrace these moments. I mean, this is a really, really good Braves team. This is a team filled with role players. You got Freddie Free, and you got you got you got a starting rotation, BJ. That's 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 looking forward to the challenge. You got a bullpen that wants to prove that. Listen, we're not going to be the weakest link. You got you got you got a, you got a bunch of guys in that lineup that can match with the best of them. And BJ, I think you said the best. If you can win ugly, that's what makes you dangerous. Obviously, everybody wants to play with a cushion. Obviously, you would love to have six or seven runs a game. But, I mean, but guys are, you know, plate appearances, you know, are going to be crucial. You can't be up there just swinging at every pitch. You got to make sure that every plate appearance count. But, BJ, it, they showed a lot of poise against the Brewers because I, I saw the Twitter sphere when they lost game one. Oh, here we go again. Braves won three straight. Very, and, and, and won in dramatic fashion last night. So, yes, every, the, Dodgers, the Dodgers or the Giants know about the Braves. It's one of those things where you do what you got to do. You just hold on, get to the playoffs. When you get to the playoffs, man, look, you go out there, you show them what we're capable of doing. Because, BJ, have we seen the Braves' best effort collectively in a, in a series yet? That's a really that's good question. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's a really good question because you even look at the stretch against Milwaukee where your pitching was fantastic. I mean, you had some base running errors. Adam Duvall, you're looking around going, wait, what? 
what just happened? Uh, you know, you still had a little bit of uncertainty with Will Smith. Every time he comes out there, at least one player's on base, if not a couple of guys. I think it. I, I think Atlanta's peaking at the right time. And at the end of the day, no one cares if you won 106 games in the regular season or 88. We were talking about this earlier with uh, the NFL. Do does anybody remember if you won the Super Bowl and you went nine and seven or or, or barely got in as the wild card? No one cares. So that doesn't matter. And all I'm saying, Cam, I understand when we talk about a championship, you start to start to think about the Falcons and the lead or, or, or Georgia and blowing the lead or the Braves being in the postseason, uh, you know, and, and not getting many World Series, just one, or the Hawks being in the Eastern Conference Finals, getting swept by, by LeBron a couple years ago. Look, this is an organization that is one of the more consistent teams in baseball, and this roster, the way they're playing with the momentum they have, they can absolutely win it all. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, that's why I, I keep saying kudos to the Braves because they're the one team that keep putting out a winning product every year. Uh, they lose a lot of guys this year, turmoil, injuries. A lot of guys went down this year, and they're right in the thick of things. It's, it's exciting to see, and, you know, they're going to have Atlanta buzzing. And like you said, if the Dodgers win, what, tomorrow night, you get home field advantage in a playoff game after everything you've been through this year. And then if the Dodgers lose, you still play the Giants, but you, you, you're in the conference championship now. You're four games away, seven-game series. I love seven-game series. It's the reason why, but I love seven-game series. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And you get a couple of days. You get a couple of days to take a deep breath, uh, to watch the game tomorrow night, find out who you're going to play, rest up, get guys you know who have maybe had a couple of appearances in a row, maybe out of the bullpen a few days, give your starting pitchers. Remember, Charlie Morton pitched. Not a full game, but gave you, what, three and a third on short rest. So guys get a chance to relax. And I think we'll see a Braves team that is confident, rested, and believes. And I think at the end of the day, that can mean a whole lot. But but for the record, yeah, I like the idea of home field advantage. I appreciate that. I'd rather play the Giants. We'll come back. We will hear from Big College Football Weekend, uh, Kevin Whitley at Georgia Southern, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. We will hear from those gentlemen next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. ESPNCoastal.com. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. George Southern plays tomorrow night on ESPNU against South Alabama. Recently, we had a chance to chat with interim head football coach Kevin Whitley. Kevin Whitley joining us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you coming on, and obviously under not ideal circumstances, but uh, now the, the the coach at Georgia Southern where you played, we're All-American, four-year starter. What has that kind of transition been like for you midseason here? Yeah, it's, it's been hectic, you know, but like I said, i got a really good support staff around me, so uh, they've made the transition as smooth as it, it could possibly be for me. You're one of the great players in program history, a couple of national championships as well. What does what does Georgia Southern, the expectations, the the history of uh, the program mean to you? Oh, definitely. It means a lot. You know, I, I played at a time where uh, Coach Russell really uh, set the bar for this place. And so anytime that you know the history of Georgia Southern, you just want to, you know, leave your own legacy. And so that's one of the things we kind of preach to our guys, how are you going to be remembered, you know, every – home game or every year there's a, a national championship team coming back that's being recognized and so you just let your players know man you know you control your destiny you control your legacy and uh you just want to leave you want to leave on a good note here what's been kind of your message to the team about 
moving forward here in 2021 when there's obviously been a coaching change midseason? Yeah, you know, just take it one day at a time. You know, uh, all of us were, were uh, you know, caught off guard a little bit by the move. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we got we to gotta keep moving on. So, you know, like I say, our guys are real resilient. They've done a great job bouncing back from that. And what we got to do now is just take it one game at a, at a time, make sure we learn from our mistakes. And, uh, you know, we just want to put the best product we can on the field. And so those guys are committed to doing that, and that's what, what our plan is moving forward. A big win over Arkansas State, a close loss to Troy, getting ready for South Alabama coming up. Uh, how, how do you kind of evaluate the first couple of games, and what are your expectations for Thursday night? Well, you know, uh, the you know, first couple of games, uh, you know, our kids are definitely playing hard. Uh, I think we got off to a really slow start uh, for at Troy, and that kind of put us in a hole. You know, but I think, again, our kids showed a lot of character uh, coming out of the locker room and, and finally playing what I consider uh, a complete complete game in terms of offense, defense, and special teams. You know, so our expectations moving forward is that we need to do that for four quarters. We want to come out fast. We want to finish fast. And so – and that's been the message this week, even though it's a short week. You know, we feel like, you know, we've got to take advantage of every opportunity we get uh, at the game. So, you know, our guys are focused, you know, and we'll continue to do what we need to do to make sure we put ourselves in the best position to be successful. Kevin Whitley joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And what has that been like being the head coach? I, I know you've had head coaching stints at the, at the high school level, but of the college program, what has that been like to – all of a sudden in the middle of the season say you're you're the guy that's in charge of all of this oh it's been very hectic you know i went from managing 10 guys to really managing 130 guys in terms of players and uh, managing the staff uh, support staff and so uh, i've had to learn some new things on the run you know I, i've had the head coaching experience so uh but it's a, it was a it's a different level different animal and so you know i've got a good group around me that allowed me to um, ask questions, you know, whatever I need. Somebody's there to always support me in that. And so I'm very appreciative of the support staff we have here at Georgia Southern. And like I said, you know, I feel like I'm a lot better today than I was two weeks ago. Uh, it's kind of slowed down for me. And so now that it's slowed down, you know, I can, you know, kind of manage my time a little better uh, and, and and focus on the things I need to focus on to make sure we're, we're ready to play on Thursdays. Because you, you can get lost in all off the field stuff, you know what I mean? So – you know, I'm trying to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's, you know, being ready to play on game day. Coach, talk about this game against South Alabama, a team that's gotten off to a pretty good start. National TV, ESPNU broadcast. What type of opportunity is that for the program? Well, it's a great opportunity. Anytime you can play on one of the, the bigger channels of ESPN, you get national exposure, which brings attention to your brand. And so we definitely want to represent Georgia Southern, uh, our fans, and and our entire Georgia Southern community in a, in a good light. So a uh, great opportunity for us. South Al is a team that has uh, that really got to a really hard start. They are playing extremely well on defense. They get after it. Coach Womack, who's uh, been a defense coordinator at the college level for a number of years, uh, did a great job at Indiana helping them get back to where they are right now. Uh, he's carried that same mentality to South Alabama. They're playing great on defense. They run to the ball. They're physical. And so we're going to definitely have to match their intensity. Uh, this will be our first time playing in their new stadium. So we'll have to get there and get accustomed to what's going on in terms of the environment. Uh, offensively, they probably have one, if not two, of the best receivers in our conference. Uh, number eight, a uh, lot of speed. They got size, they hands, they run exceptional routes. 
an experienced quarterback. Uh, he's a transfer in. Uh, he was at Utah last year, uh, South Carolina before that. So he, he has a lot of Power Five experience. So, you know, I go right now is just come on and, and be the best we can be. And so to do that, again, we have to focus on practice, you know, go through the things we need to do on the practice field to give ourselves a chance to re- be ready to go on Thursday. And again, the opportunity, as BJ said, Thursday for a, a statement game. But you look at the remaining schedule, an opportunity for Georgia Southern to really finish strong. What are you looking uh, to, to see from, from the team in the, this final stretch of the season? Yeah, our final stretch is really Thursday. You know, <laughs> um, our focus is, again, is all about Thursday. And so we'll practice today, have a great, really good practice today, and then we'll get ready for the next game. It's uh, kind of very – it's hard for me to look out two weeks or three weeks from now uh, because, again, uh, I got a lot of new stuff thrown on my table, so I'm really taking it one day at a time. That's not a cliche. I'm really doing that, taking it one day at a time and trying to get our guys to focus on one day at a time. So, you know, our focus right now, you talk to our players, is on practice today. All right, we'll have a good practice today, have a good one tomorrow, then we'll fly out of here, and then we'll get ready to go on Thursday. But once Thursday uh, is over, we'll get ready for the next one. So, um, you know, everybody's focused on that. And like I said, our, our biggest thing right now is just to focus on us and how we can get better as a team. And, Coach, you think about South Alabama, uh, some of the other teams that are on the horizon. How, how good is this league? I mean, you've had some great success with defensive backs making big plays in this league. But when you think about uh, some of the names, you know, the Coastal Carolina, App State, obviously those games are later. But the Sun Belt seems to be, from a national reputation standpoint, maybe the top uh, G5 program out there. What's it like competing in this league? Yeah, well, I think the Sun Belt, you know, has definitely gotten stronger through the last couple of years. Uh, you know, we look up, we have two, sometimes three teams ranked in the top 25. And anytime you can do that, you can put that against any other conference in the country uh, in terms of, you know, uh, rankings and, and and really good football teams. So, you know, anytime you, you're a coach or a player, you should want to play against the best. And so being a part of the Sun Belt gives you opportunity to play against tough teams, whether it be home or on the road, and gives you opportunity to show what you can do. So great exposure of our program, great competition. And uh, those other teams are doing a, a great job, great coaching staffs. And so we we got to make sure we're doing our part to be in the conversation. I was going to say it's got to be special for you as a uh, former Georgia Southern Eagle to uh, play for Irk Russell, kind of see the evolution of the program to hear here it is all those uh, years later in you know D- Division One college football, G5 playing at a high level. Uh, kind of t- talk us through that transition that you've kind of seen with your own eyes from player to where the program is now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely grown so much since I was here. I'm actually sitting in a building right now that was a hill uh, <laughs> when I was a player here. And so just, I mean, just little things like that, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, because I knew it when we didn't have anything. You know what I mean? We all are staying in the dorm, you know. And so, you know, the, the, the college, the university, uh, the, the community has grown leaps and bounds since I was here. Uh, I can't believe it's been over 30 years since I played here. So, you know, time really goes fast. Uh, Georgia Southern has grown. That we will continue to grow. We will continue to be a program that people will have to, uh, you know, have to reckon with. So, uh, Georgia Southern special place. Anybody who's ever been to Statesboro knows that this is a football town. People love their football. And, you know, we don't compete against anything, you know, here in Statesboro. So, we don't have the Hawks. We don't have, the you know, the Falcons. You know, it's all Georgia Southern football here. So, uh, we want to make sure we put a good product on the field, make our, our fans and our community proud about it. 
Kevin Whitley, our guest here on 3 and Out Coach. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you guys against South Alabama Thursday night. We appreciate the time. I really appreciate you guys as well. And, Kevin, again, that's a great name, man. 100%. I appreciate it. Yours is the best. I'm here. Yours is the best. Kevin Whitley, our guest here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Adrian Peterson here, the new director of student-athlete development at Georgia Southern. And I'm on 3 and Out, and you're listening to DJ, Ben, and Kevin. Glad to have you back here with us, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Georgia Southern plays tomorrow night on ESPNU against South Alabama. Recently, we had a chance to chat with interim head football coach Kevin Whitley. Kevin Whitley joining us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you coming on, and obviously under not ideal circumstances, but uh, now the the coach at Georgia Southern where you played, we're All-American, four-year starter. What has that kind of transition been like for you midseason here? Yes, yeah, it's been hectic, you know, but like I said, i got a really good support staff around me, so uh, they've made the transition as smooth as it could possibly be for me. You're one of the great players in program history, a couple of national championships as well. What does what does Georgia Southern, the expectations, the the history of uh, the program mean to you? Oh, definitely. It means a lot. You know, I, I played at a time where uh, Coach Russell really uh, set the bar for this place. And so anytime that you know the history of Georgia Southern, you just want to, you know, leave your own legacy. And so that's one of the things we kind of preach, right, guys, how are you going to be remembered? You know, every – home game but every year there's a, a national championship team coming back that's being recognized and so you just let your players know man you know you control your destiny you control your legacy and uh you just want to leave you want to leave on a good note here what's been kind of your message to the team about moving forward here in 2021 when there's obviously been a coaching change mid-season yeah you know just take it one day at a time you know uh all of us were, were uh you know caught off guard a little bit by the move uh, but, you know, at the same time, we got to we got to keep moving on. So, you know, like I say, our guys are real resilient. They've done a great job bouncing back from that. And what we got to do now is just take it one game at a time, make sure we learn from our mistakes. And, uh, you know, we just want to put the best product we can on the field. And so those guys are committed to doing that. And that's what what our plan is moving forward. A big win over Arkansas State, a close loss to Troy, getting ready for South Alabama coming up. Uh, how how do you kind of evaluate the first couple of games, and what are your expectations for Thursday night? Well, you know, uh, the, you know, first couple of games, uh, you know, our kids are definitely playing hard. Uh, I think we got off to a really slow start uh, for at Troy, and that kind of put us in a hole, you know. But I think again, our kids showed a lot of character. Uh, coming out of the locker room and, and finally playing what I consider uh, a complete, complete game in terms of offense, defense, and special teams. You know, so our expectations moving forward is that we need to do that for four quarters. We want to come out fast. We want to finish fast. And so, you know, that's been the message this week, even though it's a short week, you know, we feel like, you know, we've got to take advantage of every opportunity we get uh, at the game. So, you know, our guys are focused, you know, and we'll continue to do what we need to do to make sure we put ourselves in the best position to be successful. 
Kevin Whitley joining us here on uh, Three and Out. And what has that been like being the head coach? Uh, I know you've had head coaching stints at the at the high school level, but of the college program, what has that been like to all of a sudden in the middle of the season say you're you're the guy that's in charge of all of this? Oh, it's been very hectic. You know, I went from managing ten guys to really managing 130 guys in terms of players and uh, managing the staff, uh, support staff, and so. Uh, I've had to learn some new things on the run. You know, I, I've had the head coaching experience. So, uh, but it's a, it was a, it's a different level, different animal. And so, you know, I've got a good group around me that allowed me to um, ask questions, you know, whatever I need. Somebody's there to always support me in that. And so I'm very appreciative of the support staff we have here at Georgia Southern. And like I said, you know, I feel like I'm a lot better today than I was two weeks ago. Uh, it's kind of slowed down for me. And so now that it's slowed down, you know, I can, you know, kind of manage my time a little better uh, and, and, and focus on the things I need to focus on to make sure we're, we're ready to play on Thursdays. Because you, you can get lost in off, off the field stuff, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm trying to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's, you know, being ready to play on game day. Coach, talk about this game against South Alabama, a team that's gotten off to a pretty good start. National TV, ESPNU broadcast. What type of opportunity is that for the program? Well, it's a great opportunity. Anytime you can play on one of the, the bigger channels of ESPN, you get national exposure, which brings attention to your brand. And so we definitely want to represent Georgia Southern, uh, our fans, and, and our entire Georgia Southern community in, in, a, in a good light. So a great opportunity for us. South Al is a team that has uh, that really got to a really hard start. They are playing extremely well on defense. They get after it. Coach Womack, who's uh, been a defense coordinator at college level for a number of years, I uh, did a great job at Indiana helping them get back to where they are right now. Uh, he's carried that same mentality to South Alabama. They're playing great on defense. They run to the ball. They're physical. And so we're going to definitely have to match their intensity. Uh, this will be our first time playing in their new stadium. So we'll have to get there and get accustomed to what's going on in terms of the environment. Uh, offensively, they probably have one, if not two, of the best receivers in our conference, uh, number eight, uh, a lot of speed. They got size. They hands. They run exceptional routes. Got an experienced quarterback. Uh, he's a transfer in. Uh, he was at Utah last year. Uh, South Carolina before that. So he, he has a lot of Power Five experience. So you know, our goal right now is just come on and and be the best we can be. And so to do that, again, we have to focus on practice. You know, go through the things we need to do on the practice field to give ourselves a chance to re- be ready to go on Thursday. And again, an opportunity, as BJ said, Thursday for a, a statement game. But you look at the remaining schedule, an opportunity for Georgia Southern to really finish strong. What are you looking uh, to, to see from, from the team in the, this final stretch of the season? Yeah, our final stretch is really Thursday. You know, <laughs> um, our focus is, again, is all about Thursday. And so we'll practice today, have a great, really good practice today, and then we'll get ready for the next game. And it's uh, kind of very – it's hard for me to look out two weeks or three weeks from now uh, because, again, uh, I got a lot of new stuff thrown on my table, so I'm really taking it one day at a time. That's not a cliche. I'm really doing that, taking it one day at a time and trying to get our guys to focus on one day at a time. So, you know, our focus right now, if you talk to our players, is on practice today. All right, we'll have a good practice today, have a good one tomorrow, then we'll fly out of here, and then we'll get ready to go on Thursday. But once Thursday uh, is over, we'll get ready for the next one. So, um, you know, Everybody's focused on that. And like I said, our, our biggest thing right now is just to focus on us and how we can get better as a team. 
And, Coach, you think about South Alabama, uh, some of the other teams that are on the horizon. How, how good is this league? I mean, you've had some great success with defensive backs making big plays in this league. But when you think about uh, some of the names, you know, the Coastal Carolina, App State, obviously those games are later. But the Sun Belt seems to be, from a national reputation standpoint, maybe the top uh, G5 program out there. What's it like competing in this league? Yeah, well, I think the Sun Belt, you know, has definitely gotten stronger through the last couple of years. Uh, you know, we look up, we have two, sometimes three teams ranked in the top 25. And anytime you can do that, you can put that against any other conference in the country uh, in terms of, you know, uh, rankings and, and and really good football teams. So, you know, anytime you, you're a coach or a player, you should want to play against the best. And so being a part of the Sun Belt gives you opportunity to play against tough teams, whether it be home or on the road, and gives you opportunity to show what you can do. So great exposure of our program, great competition. And uh, those other teams are doing a, a great job, great coaching staffs. And so we we got to make sure we're doing our part to be in the conversation. I was going to say it's got to be special for you as a uh, former Georgia Southern Eagle to uh, play for Irk Russell, kind of see the evolution of the program to hear here it is all those uh, years later in you know D- Division One college football, G5 playing at a high level, uh, kind of t- talk us through that transition that you've kind of seen with your own eyes from player to where the program is now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely grown so much since I was here. I'm actually sitting in a building right now that was a hill uh, <laughs> when I was a player here. And so just, I mean, just little things like that, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, because I knew it when we didn't have anything. You know what I mean? We all are staying in the dorm, you know. And so, you know, the, the, the college, the university, uh, the, the community has grown leaps and bounds since I was here. Uh, I can't believe it's been over 30 years since I played here. So, you know, time really goes fast. Uh, Georgia Southern has grown. That we will continue to grow. We will continue to be a program that people will have to, uh, you know, have to reckon with. So, uh, Georgia Southern special place. Anybody who's ever been in Statesboro knows that this is a football town. People love their football. And, you know, we don't compete against anything, you know, here in Statesboro. So, we don't have the Hawks. We don't have, the you know, the Falcons. You know, it's all Georgia Southern football here. So, uh, we want to make sure we put a good product on the field, make our, our fans and our community proud about it. Kevin Whitley, our guest here on 3 and Out Coach, we really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you guys against South Alabama Thursday night. We appreciate the time. I really appreciate you guys as well. And, Kevin, again, that's a great name, man. 100%. So, I appreciate uh, it. I, I, hey, I, yours is the best. Me, I'm here. Yours is the best. Kevin Whitley, our guest here on 3 and Out in Kentucky, number one Georgia against number 11 Kentucky. Uh, ESPN College Game Day going to be in Athens. We'll have more coverage for you on that game tomorrow. But Ben did want to mention Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story. The book is out. I've uh, gotten some uh, really positive feedback from people, and I know uh, we've been kind of kind of tracking it. You've had folks from all over the country, uh, overseas, order books, and I know it's been really meaningful for, for both of us, especially you, people that have, you've you've written about in the book, people that you've talked about are now getting their copy. Of course, folks can go to bentroop84.com to order Uncommon Unfinished or anywhere books are sold online, uh, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, Amazon. It's all right there. But uh, a really powerful story. Uh, your, your story is so compelling and uplifting and uh, really, really honored to see people uh, picking it up and, and reading it. Yeah, BJ, it is humbling. I mean, last week was able to get out um, everybody that pre-order on uh, BNJ84.com and 
just to see a lot of uh, you know uh, old faces, man, reaching out to me, saying that Booker's here, and former teammates reaching out to me, family members, friends, just supporters of of me, BJ, supporters of you. I mean, because I, I I get I get two different uh, feedbacks. Either I get, hey man, you know I. Uh, you know, really, really compelling story to know these things about you, man. And then, you know, it, it was very, very well written. And, I, and you know, it's humbling because, you know, when you, when you get done playing the game of football, when football has been my identity, how do you want to present yourself through yourself in a sense? How do I want to talk about me without making it all about me? And I think that's what we did, BJ. I really, really think that when you think about what do you want to do in portrayal and when you're portraying your life, I think you talk about the people in it. You talk about the things in it. You talk about the places in it. You talk about the experience in it. And you highlight your flaws more than your successes, but you highlight your, your friends and family and teammates and, and coaches more because those people deserve so much more credit than they get. I mean, former teammate Ben Hartstock, man, reached out to me. I had already told him he was in the book, but I guess it got there when he was, when he was at work and he said his wife went through the book and found his part in it. And, you know, it's one thing to know you're in the book. It's another thing to know you don't you, – but you still want to see. It's almost like, BJ, going through the yearbook back in the day, you know, you want to see if you are in the yearbook outside of the picture that you took for your actual class. But I'm, I'm very, very humble. Appreciate you, BJ, you know, for dealing with me. 2020 was an eye-opener for both of us. It got us off automatic. Stopped procrastinating a little bit. And it's a Timothy Bond, True Vine Publishing – Everybody had anything to do with this project company, Entree Drama, uh, Miko Isidore, just too many names, too many people to name, but very, very humble by this opportunity because that's what it is. And hey, BJ, I don't know how many books, you know, we're going to be able to write, but if this is our only one, which I don't think it will be, I'm about as proud of it as I've ever been. And we want people to go to bentroop84.com. Uh, you can order the book, a signed copy, Ben. I mean, the other day, you I, you signed like 100 books in two hours. I said, man, you're how, how many autographs have you signed? You just boom, 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 got it done. And then I was going to the post office. I'm thinking, how is this going to work? You had so many books to ship. You had to go to about two or three post offices the way you were doing it. So, you know, but all the people you mentioned are uh, so instrumental, you know, a lot of pieces had to fall into place for this to work, whether it was, you know, Entree Drummer Consulting and Timothy Bond kind of showing us what to do and just just chatting with so many people, getting perspectives. But the one thing I'll say is that you've, you've got some signature football plays, right? When you think about Ben Troop, a lot of people will always think 2002 Florida-Georgia game. You're a Florida-Georgia Hall of Fame member. You catch the game winner over Thomas Davis. A lot of people will think about you jumping over Champ Bailey in the National Football League or, you know, being that that first draft pick of the Tennessee Titans. But something that I think is really special is the personal touch you have in this uh, and the way you talk about the people that have influenced you, the people that have mattered to you, the people that, quite frankly, have shaped you and you've shared your emotions. Uh, what was it like being, I believe you were at first 17 years old when you enroll at the University of Florida, get, getting some fame as you played more at UF and then transitioning to the National Football League, transitioning past the National Football League, uh, talking about your family, talking about your, you know, your personal experiences. It's really, really powerful. And uh, it is it is neat to see uh, some of the feedback. And, uh, I, you know, every time I see the book, I see uh, 
I see obviously your face and I see the orange and blue lettering because what's funny, the first rendering we got was, uh, was black and white. And you say, got to have some orange and blue in there. So, you know, you talk a lot about the Gators, you talk a lot about the Titans, uh, you talk a lot about your high school career, but this is much more than football. This is a whole lot more than football. And I've said this before, but your, your, your energy and, uh, care for other people. You're the kind of person that, that when you're friends with you, you want, you want all your other friends to meet because you have such a positive influence on people's lives. And I think what's really cool about this is that, that, that momentum, that, you know, care, that, that, that sort of responsibility you feel to make the world a better place is channeled through this. And I'm really excited for people to get to learn more about you. I mean, look, my life is a dream. I mean, I, I take no credit for this stuff. I, I think sometimes when you've been highlighted so much in your life, you get people think that that's what you do things for, for the for the accolades, for that, for you know, BJ, for the admiration, for the praise. I do, I do, I, I do it for none of those things. I appreciate it, but it is my obligation. I make it my obligation to make sure I highlight those around me. There was a village of there has been a village around me my entire life. My village has grown since I have become a grown man and. I just, I just do my best to make sure that I speak for those people who won't get a chance to speak. I, I make sure I highlight those people who've never been highlighted, and I tell the stories of people who wouldn't even think about telling their stories. So to my friends, my family, my mom, dad, sister, brother, niece, nephew, my children, everybody that's in this book, man, y'all made the book what it is. BJ, you told me this. You said stories tell themselves. They tell, and, and I appreciate the fact that I get to tell my story, and I hope that, you know, Molly Troop, Clifford Troop, James Edwards, you know, uh, Colbert Williams, and uh, you know, my great, my you know, grandparents, great grandparents are looking down, smiling, saying, "Dad, go that boy again." I said, "Look, man, as long as I got breath, I'm gonna give it all I got." But then, but make sure and go to beingtrue84.com to get, uh, you know, uncommon. I finished the being true story with BJ Bennett, also available everywhere books are sold. I hope you enjoy reading as much as we enjoy making it, and it is a humbling experience. I I, uh, I challenge you to tell your story. My story is not unique because. Because it's mine, my story is unique because I was willing to tell it. I challenge you to do the same. Yep, BenTroop84.com. So the Atlanta Braves, as we've talked about uh, all day today, they have advanced. It is fun to watch this team compete. They have advanced to the NLCS. We will find out tomorrow who they will play. You have a uh, best of five. The series tied 2-2 with the Dodgers and Giants. That will be tomorrow night. I think if we're being honest, uh, and, and you don't want to overlook the Giants, but I think a lot of people in Braves country are thinking, yeah, I appreciate the potential for home field advantage against L.A., but would rather play the San Francisco Giants. But shout out to the Braves. Uh, 1-5-4, Freddie Freeman, a highlight home run against Josh Hader last night to win the series 3-1 over Milwaukee and advance. I want to thank Bud Ellis, BravesWire.com, for joining us on the show today. Also, Georgia Tech head football coach Jeff Collins and Georgia Southern interim head football coach Kevin Whitley. Remember, Georgia Southern plays tomorrow night on ESPNU. They will take on South Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, three and out.